Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the book of Revelation. As we continue our consecutive week study in this book, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter 17 and verses 1 to 6. Revelation chapter 17 and verses 1 to 6. Revelation chapter 17 verses 1 to 6. Please then, brothers and sisters, hear with me the reading of God's Word. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we'll be looking at the the sixth cycle of visions in the book of Revelation. The sixth cycle of visions covers chapters 17, 18, and 19. And after the sixth cycle of visions, we're going to come to the seventh cycle, which is the last cycle of visions. And that will cover chapters uh, 21 and 22. And so we see we're fast approaching the end of the book of Revelation. And as we do, what we will find out is that the visions intensify. In fact, they, they zoom in or give more attention to the things concerning the end. Right? They zoom in. They give more attention to those details leading up to the final judgment and to the return of Christ. And so it's fitting then for us today in our text that one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls which depicted the end is the one then who would come and describe in particular, the, the sixth and the seventh bowl in greater detail for us. In greater detail for John, showing to us all in chapter 17 why Babylon, the great prostitute, would be destroyed. And he does this by showing John exactly what the world has become. Right? He wants John and he wants all of us to see the world for what it truly is, what it really is. Which is why in chapter 17 then, what is really depicted for us is the, is the nature and the character of Babylon. Remember we said Babylon is, is a symbolic name for the, for the ungodly world, for the wicked world. You can just think back to uh, the book of Daniel, can't we? And you think about what is Babylon there? Right? Babylon was a region in which what? The, the people of God lived as exiles in. They lived as aliens in Babylon, 
under a godless regime, around godless peoples who were tempted to compromise their faith with a pagan state. And if they did not do so, they would face punishment and even death. Right? That is who Babylon was. Likewise, in our text in Revelation chapter 11, if you recall, Babylon was, was equated with spiritually Sodom and Egypt and Jerusalem as well. All which were notorious for what? For immorality and for persecution. And so it's this ungodly, wicked world that we as God's people must live in that is symbolically called Babylon here. Why? Because this wicked and godless world shares the same characteristics as Babylon herself. right? Seeking after and pursuing sinful pleasure and violence and idolatry all in rebellion against God. And so here now in verse 1, the, the angel comes to John and says to John, I'm going to show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now this, this language here draws straight from Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 13. There we read this, O you who dwell by many waters, Rich in treasures, your end has come. The thread of your life is cut. Now, just as this text, Jeremiah 51.13, is dealing with the absolute judgment of historical Babylon, so too then we must see that the angel is quoting from Jeremiah 51.13 to convey to us as well that our present text is addressing the absolute judgment of the latter-day Babylon as well. This leads us then to our our first point this morning, which will be the the cause of judgment. The cause of judgment. Now, in order to understand what Babylon is guilty of here, it is important, it is vital for us to understand the figure that Babylon is represented by in our text. What is Babylon represented by here? A great prostitute, right? A a harlot. When you think of a prostitute, when you think of a a harlot, what comes to mind? Right? Someone who seeks to seduce. Right? Someone who tempts. Someone who entices. Someone who allures you to, to come and to lie down with her in bed. And so what the angel here shows John is like a prostitute, Babylon likewise is is seeking to allure, to entice, to seduce people to come and in a sense lay down in bed with her and to forsake Christ for the world. And Babylon has become very successful in her endeavors, hasn't she? Right? She has caused the, the kings of the earth and the dwellers of the earth to, to drink the wine of her sexual immorality. And so we need to see that that Babylon's judgment falls upon her because of her immoral influence over the nations and the peoples and the rulers. That sexual immorality that she's guilty of of promoting on earth, though we have to remember, is, is figurative language, right? It's figurative language for the religious and idolatrous demands that she makes on the peoples of the world to engage in. That is the sexual immorality that people are guilty of of flocking after and running towards. 
Right? And in this way, then, the, the prostitute is very different than the bride of Christ, isn't it? Because we see in Revelation chapter 14, what is true of the bride of Christ? The opposite of what is true of the, of the great prostitute of Babylon. If you remember in Revelation 14, what is the characterization of the bride of Christ? We are those who, who do not lay down with the woman. Right? We are those who, who do not commit sexual immorality. And so the, the church is characterized as what in Mount Zion? As those faithful to the Lord. Right? As those who did not abandon the Lord for the world. But what is true of the bride of Christ is not true for everyone else who belongs to the world. Right? They do give in to the world system. They do adopt the, the culture of this world. And one of the ways that, that the great prostitute Babylon entices men and women in this world is through the seduction or the promise of prosperity and security. Right? The nations and the people's allegiance to Babylon, we need to see, ensures their material gain. Right? That is how Babylon entices that them. That's how Babylon gets them to come near. We have to understand, this is what the saints in the first century are being deprived of. Right? They are being deprived of economic prosperity that Rome is putting before all of its inhabitants, saying, if you are loyal to us, this is what you can have. Right? But to, to not follow after Roman culture and to not burn candles and and uh, confess allegiance to Caesar and to not worship pagan deities means the loss for those first century Christians of economic and financial prosperity. Right? And we see that even today. There are many examples of this in the world. Right? Think about how the, how the federal government kind of controls people and institutions. Right? They, they give federal dollars to different organizations and institutions and, and peoples, but what? They have to comply with the government's demands, with the government's standards. This is why so many Christian institutions don't allow their students to take federal funding. Why? Because they understand that the federal funding comes with strings attached. It comes with strings attached. Now the, the government can get into your schools and, and tell you how, how you can operate and, and tells you how you can deal with, with sin and what sin is. And so we see, brothers and sisters, what, what economic prosperity can do. It can cause people to give up all to gain it. Right? We see then how people can become drunk by prosperity or the promise of prosperity. And once intoxicated by the world's promise, it removes the desire then to resist Babylon's destructive influences in their lives. Right? People only see the good that Babylon has to offer them. And so it blinds them to, to see what destruction inevitably will lead to in their lives. Right? This happens not only with, figurative, with the figurative uh, prostitute, but with real prostitutes as well. If you think about the figure. You've probably heard in the news, right? Sometime in your life, uh, entertainers or famous figures, especially politicians, right, who have who have been caught soliciting prostitutes, haven't you? And you thought to yourselves, what in the world were they thinking? Right? Did they not consider the repercussions, how it would destroy their life, how it would destroy their livelihood? And the answer is no, they didn't. 
Because all they could think about was the, the temporal satisfaction and the, and the instant gratification that they would receive from it. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to see, so too does this world, as it is intoxicated by Babylon, the, the great prostitute. It doesn't see what's, what's beyond. It doesn't see what their end shall be because they are so intoxicated by what Babylon is offering to them now that they're not seeing what entering into relationship with Babylon will do to them in the future. And it's not only what Babylon does to the unbeliever, but, but Babylon has an effect on the believer as well. Or it has an, an effect on the, the chosen people of God. Right, we've seen this with the Israelites, didn't we? What, is, what do we read in Hosea chapter 4 that the Lord accuses Israel of? Starting in verse 10, He says this, They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom and wine and new wine, which does what? Takes away understanding. My people inquire a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they left their God to play the whore. I want us to see right that imagery again. The, the whoredom that God is accusing Israel of isn't the physical act of sexual immorality, although it's described that way, right? No, what he's, what he's calling them to account for is their spiritual adultery, their, their spiritual infidelity, their spiritual idolatry. And we're told they did what? They went after wine and new wine. Right? What happens when you, when you continue to drink and drink and drink? It makes you drunk so that you do not understand. Right, this is what happened to God's people. Right, this is what He accuses them of here in Hosea 4. We need to see, brothers and sisters, that as this godless world continues to, to drink up the, the cup of sexual immorality, the, the cup of whoredom, that they too, right, like the Israelites, lose all understanding as they, they delve so far into the world that they forget all else, that they only care about the physical world. They only care about the, the goods that this world has to offer to them. Now, we've seen this in Revelation chapter 18. If you remember, we, we read a large portion of this, I believe, last week. And what is it that those loyal to Babylon will fear when it falls? Do you remember what we read there? They're going to fear that Babylon's economic demise will be their economic demise. That's the fear. That's what the, that's what the merchants and the shipmasters cry out about. Right? They fear that the, that the economic downfall of Babylon will mean the, their economic downfall. Right? That is all that they are caring for. That is all they're concerned over, the loss of prosperity. And so we need to see, though, that the, the problem is not the world itself. Right? The problem is the secular world system that the world holds up. The problem is a fallen world and fallen man. And without God, the world falls into alliance with the moral corruption and the sin of Babylon, the great prostitute. And we need to see that this is a threat that confronts the Christian as well in every single age. Right? Every successive generation is confronted with Babylon, the great prostitute. This is why it's so vitally important, brothers and sisters, to not become friends with the world. Right? To not become friends with the world. And is this not what 
This very author, John, tells us in his first epistle as well. Right, look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses, verses uh, 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. This is what, what John warns believers of. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What does John say there? He's saying that the system of this world stands opposed to God. And his caution to us all is that we are to shun. Right? We are to shun and we are to avoid everything on earth that disagrees with our God. Right? We are to shun the kingdom of darkness. We are to shun and avoid all ungodly conversation. We are to shun and avoid ungodly people when they want to draw us into their ungodly actions. We are to shun the ungodly thinking of this world. That thinking that tells us that we are to love ourselves above all else. That our happiness is more important than truth. That the pursuit of money should be our, our greatest ambition in the world. Right? We are to shun and to avoid all ungodly desires. Seeing that all of these things, right, the, 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 the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, all of those things war against the Christian soul. Right? They war against your soul. These are all things that the world pursues at their own destruction. But John tells us, right, these things should only be agreeable to those who have a carnal heart and a carnal mind. Right? Those people who have their corrupt nature ruling over them. And so may we see, brothers and sisters, who are not under law but under grace, that all of these things are unworthy of the Christian's love. All of these things are unworthy of your affection. Unworthy of it. These things that the, that the world pursues, that the world sells their soul to attain, that they, they chase after to the neglect of their eternal salvation are all transitory things. They're all things that are fading and fleeting. Right? Beauty and riches and honor, all of the things that this world lusts after will one day come to an end. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to see we aren't to make the world our pattern. Right? Christ is the example for the believer. Right? Christ is the pattern of life for everyone who has come to trust in Him and His name. And what is it that Christ has shown to us? Right? Christ has revealed to us how we are to love God. Right? Christ has revealed to us how we are to love one another. He has revealed to us how we are to love the law of God and obey God and how we are to love the will of God and the worship of God and the glory of God and the dwelling of God. All things that will never perish or fade, but things that will abide forever. You, brothers and sisters, who have been given grace and eyes to see, I want us all to see this woman and her ugliness we need to see the woman in her ugliness, that this woman that the world is blind to and that they love and are attracted to, see her in all of her ugliness. 
Right? See her in all of her ugliness. See also, brothers and sisters, that she is an opposite picture than of the church. Right? This woman is an opposite picture of Christ's bride, which is why the world doesn't love us, but Christ does. Right? This leads us then to our, our second point this morning, which is the, the comeliness of the woman. The comeliness of the woman. Please look with me, starting in chapter 17 and verse 3. And he carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. So in verse 3, immediately what do we find? The Spirit transports right John into, into this wilderness. Now this language here, again, is drawn from the Old Testament. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 21, verses 1 to 10. But in the first two verses of Isaiah 21, this is what you'll read. The oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. As whirlwinds in the Negev sweep on, it comes from the wilderness, from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me. The traitor betrays and the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elam. Lay siege, O Media. All the sighing she has caused, I bring to an end. Now, in Isaiah, in the 21st chapter, this is a vision of the destruction of Babylon. And we know that because later in verse 9, this is what you'll read. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Isaiah chapter 21, verse 9. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now, we see how the book of Revelation is playing on Isaiah 21. Because what do we read, right? We read the same thing that John is here in the wilderness. It's describing what's going to happen to Babylon. And if you look at chapter 18, verse 2, what do you read? And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Right? And so we see here Isaiah 21 between, uh, behind our text in chapter 17 and chapter 18. Now what we're told John sees is this woman sitting on a, a scarlet beast that is full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Now we've seen this image before, haven't we? If you think back to, to chapter 12, flip over to chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. What do you look at in verse 6? Drop down to verse 6 of chapter 12. And the woman fled to where? The wilderness. So here you have a beast with seven heads, ten horns, and the people of God fleeing to the wilderness. If you remember in chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, it describes right the dragon who has been cast down to the earth who uh, tries to make war on the people of God who are in the wilderness. And then in chapter 13, verse 1, as we are told how he makes war through the first beast and the second beast. How is that first beast described? Look at chapter 13, verse 1. 
And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with what? Ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And so we see, brothers and sisters, through chapter 12 and chapter 17, how the the dragon pursues God's people into the wilderness. But how the the wilderness is, is not only a place that God's people dwell and reside, but it is also a place that the great prostitute resides as well. That's what we see here. Right? Not only is, is the desert or the wilderness a place where God's people find peace and protection, it is also a place that there is evil and persecution and sin. Right? For the people of God, then we need to see the, the wilderness or the picture of the wilderness as a place for our physical suffering, but our spiritual protection. Right? That is what the symbol of the, the wilderness is. But I want us to also see how the the women of chapter 12 and chapter 17 are very different women as well. These aren't the the same women. The the woman in our text is described as sitting on a scarlet beast. What does that do? It it closely associates this woman with the beast. What was the beast? What did we say the beast was? The beast we said is anti-Christian world powers throughout history that persecute the people of God. Now, the woman isn't the beast. She sits on the beast, which tells us that she is working in alliance with the beast, right? They work hand in hand. And so what we need to see is that the woman represents the world in which, excuse me, represents the anti-Christian world, which is the center of seduction throughout history. Right? She represents the anti-Christian world, which is the center of seduction throughout history. And we see this through what this woman is wearing. Look once more at verse 4. The woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a a golden cup. I want us to see, brothers and sisters, that all of these things listed are things that are a part of the the prosperous economic trade of the world. And you want to know why we know that is? Look at chapter 18 with me, starting in verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver and jewels and pearls and fine linen and purple cloth and silk and scarlet cloth. So I want us to see here that this woman, this great prostitute, is a picture of the world. She's a symbol of the world, of what the world loves, of what the world looks like. Right? She is a picture, a symbol of the world's culture as she is adorned in the world's garments. The garments of one who is economically prosperous because she has forsaken Christ for the world. All of which do what? Make her look outwardly attractive to the world. I mean, think about it. If a, if a prostitute out on the street desires to be successful in her endeavors... What is she going to do? She's going to try to adorn herself in a manner that seduces men, that, that, that draws them in, that, that makes them want to be with her. This is the very thing then that Babylon does. It adorns itself in all the things of the world to demonstrate and to show us a, its economic attractiveness that we would flee after it and pursue it and forsake our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
I mean, look, the woman is described as wearing purple. What is purple? It's a color of royalty. Right? These are the folks that she engages with, that she associates herself with. She's a, a woman who wears scarlet. What is scarlet? Color of blood. Right? It symbolizes her, her persecuting nature. She wears jewels and, and pearls. What does that do? It attracts people that want the luxury that she offers. She holds a golden cup in her hands. What is gold but a symbol of, of, of wealth, of prosperity, isn't it? And yet in that cup, what, what is inside of that cup? Abominations. When she drinks it, all it will do is blind her and lead her further and further into idolatry. Right? Her nature is further revealed to us in verse 5 by what is written on her head, which is Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and all of the earth's abominations. Right? The name reveals something to us about the person, doesn't it? Right? That's what names on someone's forehead do. They tell us who you're in relationship with. This is why, brothers and sisters, as we enter into the new heavens and the new earth, we are said to have the Lord's name written upon our foreheads. Right? In Revelation 22, verse 4, they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And so the, this name on the woman's forehead demonstrates that she is in, in union with Satan. Right? That she is serving Satan's will and Satan's cause. She is described as the mother of prostitutes. Which means what? She, she gives birth to, to faithless children who follow after her pattern. But I want us, brothers and sisters, to see how she is contrasted with the bride. Right? This woman of the world is arrayed in, in false beauty. Right? She is someone who is a prostitute who gives herself away to all suitors. Right? She is one who is merely outward in beauty that appeals to the eyes of natural man who resides in a desert land. But who is the bride of Christ? Flip over to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming out from heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Do you see that? Do you see how both visions begin exactly the same? One of the seven angels with the seven bowls coming to John. Right, we see how it begins exactly the same, but here we see the opposite revealed for those of us who are in Christ. Right? We are a chaste bride who give ourselves to none but our husband, the Lamb. Right? We are those who dwell not in a desert wilderness, but rather we are those who reside on a, a great and high mountain with the glory of God that surrounds us and the radiance of His beauty. Let us see then, brothers and sisters, that the bride of Christ, our, our beauty is not found in gold and silver or jewelry 
or scarlet or purple cloth. But rather, our beauty is found in God. He has made us His bride. He has cleansed us. He has purified us. He has removed all spot, stain, blemish, and wrinkle so that we might perfectly reflect the image of God. See, though, how the woman of chapter 17 does not even want to be the bride of Christ. She wants nothing to do with Him. She does not want to serve Him. But worst of all, if she's not happy with her just not serving Him, she doesn't want us to as well. Right? She wants to make us unchaste. Right? She wants to make us impure. She wants to make us unfaithful to our Lord. She wants to make us a spawn of the prostitute. But brothers and sisters, why would we ever trade the imperishable for the perishable? Right? Why would we ever trade eternal life for eternal damnation? Why would you ever trade the the loving and warm embrace of Christ your Savior for the, the filthy and disgusting embrace of this world that wants you to, to come and to lay in bed with it so that it could use you and abuse you and destroy you. Right? This world looks to destroy the purity of God's people. And it does so by showing to you things that it thinks you will think are attractive. Right? It will put before each and every one of your eyes the riches and glories of this world to get you to forsake Christ. And I call upon us all to see the ugliness of those things that it tries to put before your eyes. Because attaining those things comes at the expense of serving God. Attaining those things comes at the expense of your soul. And so let us see that the the comeliness of the woman to the unbeliever ought to be the filthiness that we see of the woman in our eyes. Because everything that the woman represents is offensive to God. Everything that this woman represents is what He is coming to destroy her for. Let us also then see in this, especially young ladies, young girls, also something as well here. I want you all to see how how fleeting then superficial beauty is. Right, see how fleeting, superficial beauty is. This, this world tries to tell young ladies right, how they are to look, how they are to speak, how they are to walk, how they are to talk, how they are, are to dress. If you want to appeal to the eyes of men, right, they encourage promiscuity. They, the, the motto of this world is what? If you got it, flaunt it. I mean, we live in an age now that promotes uh, what's called body positivity. Have you ever heard of that? So it's... It's no matter what size of a woman you are, it's, uh, it's encouraged that you show every crack and crevice to, to the man. I mean, that is filthy. That is disgusting. And so I call upon all of, especially the young ladies here to see, right, who, to whose eye you want to, want to appeal to most. And it is the eye of God. Right? He is your creator. He is your redeemer. And He created you to have fellowship with Him, not to be objectified by men. That is what He has created you for. Right? See that He cares about your inward beauty. See that He desires you to be chaste and modest, not trying to appeal to the eyes of natural man. See that God is concerned much more so with you not tending to your hair and your makeup and your dress as He is to you tending to your souls. Right? That is what God is concerned with. Right? This world, brothers and sisters, knows nothing about true beauty. 
Right? This world takes true beauty and it perverts it. And it distorts it and makes it something outward and ugly. But let us see that true beauty will only ever be found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who Himself is someone that was described in His earthly appearance as not being beautiful or attractive to the eye of man. Right In Isaiah chapter 53, this is what we're told about Jesus. That He was having no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. And so we have to ask then, brothers and sisters, if Jesus wasn't physically appealing to the eyes of man, where was His beauty to be found? His beauty was to be found in His character. That is where Jesus' beauty was found. As He came in meekness and humility, yet in, yet in strength and in the obedience of God. Where else was the beauty of Christ to be found? How about in His works? Right? Christ came to do a, a beautiful work to teach and to heal and to save. Right? Let us see the, the beauty in His suffering. Let us see the beauty in His crucifixion, the beauty in His death, the beauty in His burial, the beauty in His resurrection. Let us see the beauty in His victory. And let us pray to God that He would grant to us the same faithfulness and obedience through suffering that, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ showed. As we are here on earth being the persecuted people of God as we bear witness to Christ's name. Right? May we call out to the Lord asking that He would grant to us humility, obedience, faithfulness in suffering. This leads us then, brothers and sisters, to our, our third and our final point, which is conflict to victory. Conflict to victory. Please look with me at verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. We need to see that the, the role of this great prostitute, right, the role of the harlot, is to persecute the people of God. Now, if she can get you right, to drink the cup of her wine of sexual immorality, right, if she cannot get you to be intoxicated with what she is offering to you and get you to forsake Christ, what she will do is persecute you. That is what she will do. And this was true in John's day, was it not? What is Jesus constantly telling the churches in chapters 2 and 3 in Asia Minor? He keeps telling them not to to give in to the world, to not be intoxicated with their sexual immorality. And what was the result? And they were persecuted, weren't they? And they suffered many things, even death like, like Antipas suffered. And let us see, brothers and sisters, that in the 21st century, all around the world, the same type of suffering is happening. Yes, in some areas of the world, it's, it's much worse than in others. But the, the blood of the martyrs are being shed everywhere around the world still today. And it will continue to happen until the return of Christ. Right? But until that day, we, we forge ahead or we push on knowing what? That we have the promise of Christ. That He says, be faithful unto death and I will give to you the crown of life. And that's His promise to the church. Which is why that throughout all of the, the centuries and the, and the generations, even though the church has been mistreated and persecuted and made to suffer, that the church has only grown. Right? The church has only continued to, to thrive in it all. Right? The very opposite has, a, has happened to what the world thought that they were going to do to us. Right? The world thought in their persecution they would get us to, to cower 
and to, and to, and to hide and to wave the white flag and, and to be defeated. But in fact, the opposite happened, didn't it? But that is because they didn't know in, in whose strength we stand. Right? They don't understand in whose strength we stand. If we, if we stood in our own strength, we would cower, wouldn't we? At the first sign of persecution and suffering, we would run away, we would hide. But when persecuted and afraid, it is Christ who makes us strong. Right? It is He who makes us strong. This, in fact, then, brothers and sisters, is why I want us to see that, that Jesus not only had to die, but this is why Jesus needed to be raised from the dead. So that we might have those great blessings and benefits. That we might be made strong through the power of God. Because in Jesus' death, He won many things for us. But without the resurrection, they would never be applied to you. His death won for you. His resurrection now causes it to be applied to you. He needed to, to be risen from the grave so that we would see that His life and His death were met with the approval of God and that you might receive the benefits of His life, death, and resurrection. Do you see, brothers and sisters, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Not only in you, but for you. But He was risen from the grave right, for the purpose of now assuring our hearts, and sealing to our hearts that victory now that we have in Him. And it is that resurrection power that is conveyed to you by faith in Christ. And it is now that resurrection power that we live in. Right? Not only being those dead to Christ, or dead with Christ, but those who are now have been risen with Christ and living in the heavenly places with Christ, victorious over our every enemy, knowing that no one can do anything to snatch that victory away. Which is why we ought to confront the world with all boldness, even as they, they slay the Christian, right? believing the very thing that Joshua said as he stood upon the necks of his enemies in Joshua chapter 10, verse 25, which was this, Thus shall the Lord do to all of your enemies as well. So, brothers and sisters, this is why we not we should not fear the woman, or should not fear the beast, right? Remembering that it was Christ Himself who was persecuted, it was Christ Himself who suffered and died, it was Christ who went through conflict to get to victory. And so, brothers and sisters, He shows to us all through His own life and death and resurrection what our course in life must also be. That You can't think that you will ever escape the woman. But see, brothers and sisters, that you can confront her boldly, face to face, knowing that there is nothing she can do to take away your victory. Even if she slays you, it is not her victory, but yours. Right? For Christ is risen from the dead, and so all who die in Him likewise have the promise of being raised with Him to everlasting life. So, brothers and sisters, if there's anything ever to dissuade you from spiritual infidelity to Christ, let it be this. Let it be the risen Christ. Let it be the exalted Lamb who is slain who now stands exalted in majesty and splendor and glory, and He has done it all for you. He's done it all for you. 
so that you would not have fellowship with the world, but that you would have fellowship with Him. For it is He who has set you apart. It is He who chose you. It is He who redeemed you. It is He who has written His name upon you. And it is He who will one day raise you imperishable into immortality to have everlasting life with Him. And so, brothers and sisters, let us look past appearances. Right? Look past them. See the world for exactly what it is as the angel has exposed the great prostitute to us here today. Let us see that the beauty of this world is hollow beauty. But the beauty of what is laid up for us is rich. It's deeply meaningful. And it's filled with joy and peace and comfort and security. It is a beauty that awaits the bride of Christ. And it's a beauty that we all ought to long to see revealed. Please, brothers and sisters, bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. It is so true. It is refreshing. It uh, restores our souls. It provides peace and comfort and security and blessing. Uh, Lord, we thank You for it. We ask, Lord, that You would help us, that You would give to us strength to fight against this world and this world system, that we would not give in to it, that we would not forsake Christ for what the world offers, understanding that the things of the world are temporal, but the things that You offer to us are eternal. Cause us, Lord, to not be carried away by hollow beauty, external and only outward beauty. Cause us to be enraptured by that beauty that is found alone in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.